0: I, James, take thee, Donna, take thee, Donna, to be my lawful wedded wife. To be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold, to have and to hold, and from this day forth, from this day forth, to love, to love, to honor, to honor, and to cherish, and to cherish, to comfort, to comfort, and to respect, and to respect, in sorrow, in sorrow, or in joy, or in joy, in hardship, in hardship, or in plenty, or in plenty, so long as we both shall live. So long as we both shall live. We know you saved the best for last. Would you give a huge amount of applause for Mr. and Mrs. James Montgomery?
1: I was so excited. January 18, 1997, the day I married James Alwyn Montgomery, was one of the happiest days of my life. At least, I thought it was, until I found out that everything my husband promised on that day was a lie. With our wedding vows, he promised his love and devotion. He committed to honor and respect me, And here's the toast that he made at our wedding reception.
0: Donna and I share one thing at least in common, uh, and that is a love of words. And we've made our living, it's changed our lives, it's changed my life since my early 20s, the words I spoke then. Um, And throughout the years, words have meant a hell of a lot to me. And the words that Donna and I exchanged earlier, and um, the words that even brought us together, but I'm going to make a toast now, that comes down to two very special words, and they're thank you. Uh, According to the etiquette, etiquette, or the etiquette, um, that's an in chick joke. Um, (laughs) Nobody got it. it. I'm I'm supposed to be thanking the parents of the bride. But um, I never got to meet, and one of the sad things in my life, the rest of my life, I never got to meet Donna's mother and those of my friends that got to meet Donna over the last six months or so, are absolutely spellbound by this incredible creature that I married. And to her parents, and more than her parents, to a complete family, uh, to her two brothers and her sister, somewhere along the line, we all start with the same genes, and they did something so special with this lady. It is absolutely incredible. And my heartfelt thanks uh, go out to the people that created my donor for me. I'd ask you to drink a toast now to the parents and the family, the Andersons. Yeah. I'll give you the Andersons.
1: It was a fairy tale wedding, but the magic didn't last. In fact, by the time James and I returned from our honeymoon in Paris, I was already apprehensive, although I tried mightily to push those feelings aside and make the relationship work. In the end, I could not. Why? I wasn't really in a marriage. I was in a scam. I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. My story starts shortly before my 40th birthday. I was single and looking through the dating ads on America Online when I came across a post by James Montgomery. It seemed to be a cut above the typical dating ad. James wrote that he was widowed, a Sean Connery lookalike, a successful and financially secure Hollywood producer and scriptwriter and a founder of E! Entertainment Television. Yes, he was originally from Australia, but in 1996, he was living in New Jersey, only 30 minutes up the road from me. As we sent emails back and forth, he told me that he served in the military and won Australia's highest honor for his bravery in Vietnam. He actually sent me a copy of his commendation. And, he told me, he was still doing Special Forces work from MacDill Air Force Base in Florida. Wow. I was intrigued. After about a month, we met for brunch at a restaurant. My first impression was disappointment. He looked nothing like Sean Connery especially with his protruding belly. But he did have a magnetism about him. He was charismatic, charming, and confident. He told me all about his ideas for revolutionizing entertainment on the Atlantic City boardwalk. I had to admit his plans sounded exciting and his enthusiasm was contagious. Still, I wavered. I asked him how long it had been since his wife passed away. His answer, four months. Four months? That wasn't nearly enough time to recover. James looked at me, his eyes tearing up, and sadly explained that he'd lost a lot of people, his mates in Vietnam and recently his father. He said he'd learned to pick himself up and move on. Gail, his deceased wife, would want him to. I wasn't convinced, but he was interesting, so I decided to give him a shot. That was my first mistake. James Montgomery swept me off my feet. He quickly filled my calendar with plans to get together. He told me I was pretty and smart and we'd make a great team. He admitted that he'd cheated on previous romantic partners, but that would never happen with me because I was the woman he'd been waiting for all his life. He quickly proposed, and I, excitedly and foolishly, accepted. James moved full speed ahead with our relationship and with his business plans. He wanted me to be totally involved, boots and all, as he called it. He was starting three companies, each of which supported the others. He was sure they were all destined for success, and he wanted me to benefit. For $5,000, he said, I could have several points of ownership. The investment would be great for my portfolio. That was the beginning of the money drain. James and I traveled to Australia to meet his family and to get married. This was the first wedding. We actually had two of them. James expected to receive his funding for his new businesses shortly, but it hadn't yet come through. So he asked me, could I put the trip on my credit cards? He would pay me back as soon as we returned, and his money came in. I agreed. Another mistake. He never paid me back. While we were in Australia, I had my basement converted to an office for him. He promised he would reimburse me for the expenses. That didn't happen either. James moved in and quickly filled the office with papers, faxes, books, videos, and printouts. The man was a pack rat. Every flat surface in the room was covered, including the floor. He got mad when I or the dog walked on his papers. I walked on them, but I never looked at them. Another mistake. There's more, a lot more. The bottom line is that everything James Montgomery told me was a lie, but I didn't know it until far too late. In two years, I paid all his business expenses to the tune of $227,000 including lots of overnight and weekend travel. I let my own business wither so I could support him. By 1998, I was broke and heavily in debt. I was also severely stressed, trying to hold our finances together. But every time I tried to talk to my husband about it, he berated me for not believing in him. According to James, we didn't have a money problem. I had an attitude problem. Then I discovered that my husband was cheating on me and had even had a child with another woman during our marriage. What was his excuse? He told me that he didn't mean to hurt me. The woman was a lesbian and he was doing her a favor. Yeah, right. While James was out of state, I packed up our business materials, took the car that he drove, which I leased and I was paying for, and changed the locks on the house. My husband thought my actions were unjustified. Here's a phone call that I recorded shortly after I left him.
2: Okay and I think it's crazy the way it's going to affect our future. Even if they're separate.
3: Okay, so what's your point?
2: Well, if you've created this situation, surely you can give me as much help as possible to try and rectify it. What are
3: you asking for? Is there any money left? No. We were out of money. You treat me as if I'm some sort of enemy.
2: I, I, I never did anything deliberately to hurt you. We have a difference of judgment over what's right and wrong. Very much so, yes. Okay, but that's all
3: we have. Oh, I think that's pretty major.
2: That's, well, it's major enough for you to decide that you want to finish our marriage. That's fine. It does not give you the right to punish me and the company. You don't think that's fair comment?
3: James, what do you want? Donna, do you think that's fair comment? It doesn't matter, James. What do you want? I, I'm sorry? I said it doesn't matter. What, what do you mean want? it doesn't matter? Where
2: do you suggest I live? You can think don't you Don't you care?
3: You can continue to leave the air. Well, you don't care, do you? Actually, no. What do you want, James?
2: What do I want? What I want for you is to say, look, okay, you made a mistake. We disagreed upon how we made the mistake, but you have done nothing else to hurt me. So therefore, at least I'm going to talk to you properly, and maybe there's a chance we can even get back together again. And yes, I'll help you as much as I can. That's what I want. But you're not going to do any of that. Because you don't give, a you don't give a about the company, you don't give a about me.
3: I will help you try and do this deal with New York. What do you need in order to do that?
2: Time, Donna. An address, Donna. Somewhere to live, Donna. You address, have an address, wheels, Donna.
3: You have an address.
2: I have an address for ten days.
3: Well, that would have been the situation anyway.
2: No, it wouldn't have been, Donna. I would have earned enough to pay the rent and go for another bloody month. As I have for the last three. How do you suggest I get around?
3: Can't you borrow a car from the base? That's what you usually do.
2: A a base car in Orlando.
3: That's what you always did.
2: I never had a base car in Orlando, Donna. I've taken them across for one day. Turn around and come back. How do you suggest I do that?
3: You've had base cars for several days, James. Donna, how the f would you know? That's what you told me.
2: Donna, that's bull- you don't listen to half no, What's the point? You can't keep an American car out overnight. I'm sorry if I'm a bit angry. My whole f-ing life is disappearing. You have every right to say I don't want to be married to you in a civil way. And leave me my stuff and walk out of my life. The rest of it, you have no right to. I've asked you so many times. Do you want this to be over? I'll let you walk away. No problem. You don't think I have any reason to be angry?
3: Oh, you have reason to be angry. I
2: don't know what the f- I'm going to do. I just don't know. I don't even know if it's worthwhile what's going on. I really don't. If I, do, I can't get the people back together again, um, I've got to go to New York to see. <laughs> All the normal things people do.
3: Well, okay,
2: so what do you want? I told you what I wanted done.
3: James, we're not getting back together. Okay?
1: James had been out of the house for several weeks when a strange telephone bill arrived in the mail. It turned out that my husband had a secret voicemail account. I found a phone number for a woman whose name I'd seen on James' papers, which I finally, belatedly, investigated. I called her up. I said, I'm Donna Anderson, I'm James Montgomery's wife, and I'd like to suggest that you don't give him any more money. It's too late, she replied. I already gave him $92,000. I almost dropped the phone. We talked, a lot. It turned out that she'd known my husband for nearly two years, almost our entire marriage. He told her that he was widowed. He even sent her the death certificate of the wife before me, Gail, To prove he had no wives hiding in the closet. He failed to mention that he had quickly remarried. This woman was doing work for James although she rarely got paid. Instead he pressured her to give him money for his projects as well. Finally I understood The true nature of my marriage to James Montgomery. James wanted my money. Everything else was a lie. I became best friends with my husband's mistress. I call her Sylvia in my book, Love Fraud. We worked together to discover the truth about James Montgomery. We learned that my husband wasn't a successful Hollywood producer. He was a failure, an employee at Movie Time, the predecessor of E! Entertainment Television, who was fired for drunkenness. According to the papers in my basement, he was involved with 20 or 30 women before and during my marriage, and many of them were asking for their money back. James was married four times, and every one of us was financially ruined. His first marriage was to his business partner in Australia, and he soon ran the business into the ground. His second wife was Kathleen from Boston. James quickly wiped her out. Cale was his third wife. He continually pressured her to ask her parents for money. Gail died of a heart attack before their first anniversary. I believe it was due to the stress. I was the fourth wife. And then, ten days after I left him, he married for the fifth time. He married the woman he had a child with during our marriage. It was the second time he committed bigamy. As far as James Montgomery's military service... That was also fake, and his so-called service records were forged. His Special Forces bravado was an act designed to make himself seem strong, respectable, and trustworthy. How far did he take it? He joined the local Vietnam Veterans Association and had almost all the members fooled. He was the keynote speaker at Veterans Day ceremonies. He made presentations to school children about being in the military. Twice. I know. I was there. And all those times when he told me he was away on military assignments, borrowing cars from the base, well, he was lying. His condescending outrage that you can't keep an American car out overnight was just another lie. In reality, when he was away, he was visiting other women and driving their cars. And listen to James's promises to his second wife, Kathleen, during their quickie wedding in Las
0: Vegas. I, James, take thee, Kathleen. I, James, take thee, Kathleen. To my wedded wife. To my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or worse. For better or worse. For richer or poorer. For richer and richer. <laughs> through sickness and in health. Through sickness and in health. To love and cherish. To love and cherish. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. Now take a minute and place it on a finger. And you that and then with this ring. With this ring. I be wed, I be wed, and here, too. and here too, I pledge my love and devotion, my love and devotion, I pledge it, so long as we both shall live, so long as we both shall live, now, I at this point ed- I want to stop, this ring belongs to a bunch of guys, never made it out of Vietnam, On behalf of them, as well as me, you take this ring.
1: Who or what was this man? I couldn't wrap my head around the massive scale of his deception and betrayal. As I told my therapist about his outrageous behavior, she said, He sounds like a sociopath. A sociopath? What's that? I did my research and concluded that, yes, my husband had a serious personality disorder. He was later professionally diagnosed. I learned that there are multiple disorders in which the affected individuals lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, and exploit such as antisocial, narcissistic, and psychopathic personality disorders. I was shocked to learn that millions of people have these disorders. They are essentially human predators, and most of us don't know they exist. When I filed for divorce, I accused my husband of marriage fraud. Three of the other women testified at my divorce, plus the parents of Gail, the wife before me, who died. From the five of us, James Montgomery had taken more than $1 million. The judge ruled that my husband did indeed commit fraud. I was awarded the $227,000 that I paid in his so-called business expenses, plus $1 million in punitive damages. But in the end, my hard-won judgment was useless. I collected a grand total of $517. All the rest of the money was gone. I was devastated, but after time and working really hard on my emotional healing, I recovered. Because of my experience, I wrote my book, Love Fraud. I also founded lovefraud.com. My website teaches you how to spot, avoid, and recover from people who have exploitative personality disorders. Here are three crucial lessons that I've learned. Lesson number one, Millions of exploiters live among us. According to expert estimates, approximately 12% of adults in the United States, that's about 31 million people, could be diagnosed with antisocial, narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, or psychopathic personality disorders. These people are fundamentally different from the rest of us. They are highly manipulative. They do not have the ability to authentically love, although they can be really good at faking it. Here's lesson number two. Exploiters are easy to spot when you know the warning signs. When sociopaths are on the prowl, they're usually charming and charismatic and sweep you off your feet in a whirlwind romance. They try to make you feel sorry for them, and they blame others for all their problems. I explain more warning signs in my second book, Red Flags of Love Fraud, 10 Signs You're Dating a Sociopath. Learn them and you'll be able to spot and avoid the exploiters. Finally, here's lesson number three. The best way to protect yourself is to listen to your intuition. We all have a built-in early warning system designed to protect us from predators, including sociopaths. Your body and instincts will tell you when you're in danger. You'll get a gut feeling, a chill down your spine, sudden fear, or some other internal nudge. Unfortunately, you probably weren't taught to heed these warnings, but you can learn to pay attention to them. To protect yourself, listen to your instincts and act on the warnings. The first step in avoiding sociopaths is to know that they exist. Since I launched lovefraud.com in 2005, I've collected more than 10,000 cases of people who unfortunately did not know about them and ended up in awful entanglements. Most readers tell me about romantic relationships But I also hear about difficulties with parents, family members, work colleagues, and friends. With this True Love Fraud Stories podcast, I am sharing some of their experiences. My goal is to educate you so that you can learn about the millions of people living among us who have no heart, no conscience, and no remorse. I want you to understand their charming facade, their brazen lies, their wicked exploitation, and the tremendous damage they cause to their targets. In these true love fraud stories, members of the love fraud community are bravely sharing what happened to them and how they were deceived and betrayed. They hope, as do I, that if someone in your life is exhibiting similar behavior patterns, you will recognize the warning signs and escape as fast as you can. I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. I invite you to become a premium subscriber to True Love Fraud Stories. As a subscriber, you'll be able to listen to the podcast without advertisements. You'll also receive special bonus content. With each episode, I interview an expert on a topic related to the story. Subscribers also get exclusive access to my separate Love Fraud live show which streams Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I do a short presentation on a topic related to sociopaths and then answer your questions. Subscribers can join the conversation and ask questions. Plus, if you sign up as an annual subscriber, you'll get a free autographed printed copy of my first book, Love Fraud. How Marriage to a Sociopath Fulfilled My Spiritual Plan. Believe me, there's a lot more to the story with James Montgomery, and it will make your head spin. The book is a cross between a true crime novel and a spiritual journey, with an inspirational, happy ending. Love Fraud is also available as an audiobook. True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. I'm the author of lovefraud.com. Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. And for more information about other great stories, or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com.